with the increase of different types of devices that can be used to access the internet, I think that has really changed the landscape of SEO. So before it was just desktops. Now it's desktops and phones. Soon it's going to be desktops, phones, smartwatches, heads up display glasses, you know, you name it. You can ask, you can even use voice commands now. So you can search for things on Alexa or Siri or the Google Assistant. And so I think that that has really shaped how Google does SEO in terms of understanding the context of the question and finding the best possible answer. Hey friends, welcome back to the CarrotCast podcast. I'm your host, Brady Winder, and this is a podcast where we help investors and agents like yourself dial in their online marketing so that you can build businesses of freedom and impact. I've got the pleasure of introducing to you today, uh, Brian from the Carrot team, our new search engine optimization specialist. Is that the title? Yes, it is. W welcome to the podcast, man. How you doing? I'm <laughs> doing great. I'm excited to be here and I'm uh, super stoked to get everyone more on the SEO bandwagon. Absolutely, man. This is going to be a good podcast. I'm really excited about this one because it is SEO month at Carrot. So this is our first podcast of the month. And if you've been following us for any amount of time, you know that SEO is Carrot's bread and butter. This is what helped us become Carrot for years. We've been helping investors and agents all over the country, you know, rank higher in Google so they can get more motivated leads and build trust, build credibility, build authority with people. And so we've done a lot of content on SEO. So how is this one going to be different? So the thing I want to cover in this is we're going to try to give you a 10,000 foot view of SEO and simplify what is a very daunting thing. And we're just going to simplify it and give you actionable steps on where to get started if you're just starting out with your SEO, especially it being you know New Year, 1st of January. It's a great time to start building your SEO as these things are very much worth it, but they take time. And so we're going to give you some actionable steps to get started, but really help you understand why and how SEO works so well. If you're looking for the more tactical like courses, uh, keyword research, and you want to get nerdy and dive into these topics with us, um, go to carrot.com slash SEO, search S as in search. Yeah, go to carrot.com slash SEO and you can get those more tactical resources linked up on that page. Um, but yeah, we'll kick it off and we're going to have a good conversation. And uh, yeah, Brian, so Break down SEO for us in in simple terms for people who, you know, might not understand. Sure. So the core principle behind SEO or search engine optimization is that we want to optimize the content that you're publishing to the website to satisfy the question that someone is asking. So that can be done in a number of different ways. You can do it through written texts like a blog post or an article. You could do it through video. You could do it through a podcast. Um, and the response to what ranks well, it changes for every different question that's asked. So sometimes things are asked and the best response would be an image or it shows a whole bunch of images. Other times it may be a full, you know, 3000 word blog post that just covers, it's a comprehensive guide for whatever the issue is. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that Google is looking for is the best possible answer for the questions being asked. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it it's interesting because we've seen some shifts in Google even more so in recent months, right? Reflecting this. Like it it was it used to just be all posts and pages, right? How has that changed over the years? With the increase of different types of devices that can be used to access the internet, 
I think that has really changed the landscape of SEO. So before it was just desktops. Now it's desktops and phones. Soon it's going to be desktops, phones, smartwatches, heads up display glasses, you know, you name it. You can even use voice commands now. So you can search for things on Alexa or Siri or the Google Assistant. And so I think that that has really shaped how Google does SEO in terms of understanding the context of the question and finding the best possible answer. Okay, that makes sense. So we know that um, one of the things we've seen recently, it's kind of hard to quantify, maybe you can explain this better, is that uh, Google has been, it's gotten harder to gamify it. They've been putting out updates over the last couple of years that have made it a little bit more natural, a little more human, uh, most notably the helpful content update. I bring this up because I think there's this misconception that people think, well, I have to be really good at SEO or I have to be really tech savvy in order to get my website to rank. Um, can you tell us kind of how that's shifting and kind of address that that thought, that misconception? Yeah. So about 10 years ago, it was a lot easier to game the system or to just trick Google's algorithms into thinking that your content was the best, either through putting a bunch of text on your website that no one can see, but that the Google search engine crawlers could find, or doing things like buying hundreds of backlinks that point to one page. Uh, mm -hmm. Neither of those tactics work anymore. And, mm -hmm. and Google has been putting a lot of money into making sure that people cannot uh, game their system, so to speak. So while that has made some things more difficult, the much easier approach to it is to just simply give the best response to the question. And I, I'm going to say that a lot in this episode. I apologize if it sounds a little redundant, but it's it's honest. So if you have a if you have a keyword or question that you want to ask, what you should do is just open up an incognito browser and type in that search result or type in the question and study the search results. So whatever is on the top page, I'm sorry, the top 10 rankings for the search results, that's exactly what Google wants to see. So let's say you're an investor and you want to, you know, rank number one for the keyword, uh, sell my house fast, fast Miami, Florida. So what you do is type that in, look at what ranks number one through 10, and then just find the positions or find the areas where you could do better, right? What areas where you can give a better response, where you're more knowledgeable, where you can be more local with it. And that's really all there is to it. There can You can get a lot more technical than that, and you can try different tactics and different strategies. But at the end of the day, that's what all of the you know career SEOs are doing is we're looking at what the ranking on the first page, we're assessing what our competitors are doing, and then we are outdoing them in certain areas. And so sometimes that yeah. can be an image, sometimes that's a video, sometimes it's a blog post, uh, sometimes it's an FAQ. So it really depends on you know the particular phrase, the question, but really like Google has been shifting more and more towards just making sure that the results that they display are answering the question the best possible way. And so when you keep that kind of in the forefront of your mind, I think it becomes a lot easier to explain SEO and to build your own SEO strategy around the keywords that you want to rank for. Mm, I love that. I feel like we could just end the podcast right there and there'd be enough value because it's, <laughs> it's, you know, and I love the way that Google is, I love the direction that Google is heading with with this too, because it it should be encouraging for investors and agents because investors and agents are 
experts, if they're doing their job well, they're experts in their field. And so they should be able to help someone selling a house, uh, regardless of what scenario they're in financially. And so your content should reflect that. I say that because people can, it's really easy to overcomplicate SEO and like, Oh, what do I, what do I write about? I've been told I need to do videos. What do I do videos on? It's like, well, all the scenarios you're talking about with people on a daily basis, the problems that you're solving, that's your, that's your content. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we know that, um, you know, we know we have a lot of carrot members ranking in Google for phrases like, you know, sell my house fast, Miami, Florida, how to sell my house fast for cash, things like that, uh, to get those motivated seller leads in the top of Google. Um, and, and that's what we're known for. But before we hit record on the podcast, you were talking about, uh, there's some other use cases for, or some other benefits to SEO that people might not be thinking of. Tell me about that. Yeah, definitely. So about a week ago, there was an interview with the VP of search at Google, and he's a very notoriously mysterious person that doesn't do a lot of PR. And he let something slip that I think is going (laughs) to rattle the SEO industry moving forward. And it was that uh, they use the acronym EAT for every single question and every single search result that they display. Um, and this is huge for a few reasons. EAT stands for expertise, authority, and trust. And mm-hmm. so what they're doing is basically making sure that the people that are on page one are that you know show you all the results that you see every time you Google something, that those people are qualified to talk on the subject and that the answer that they're delivering is complete. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why this is big is because this can change how you create your content. This can change uh, who climbs up the ranks and stays at the top. So it's not like you know these search terms can only be dominated by you know huge companies, right? We're not. It, you don't see Keller William agents just like killing every single you know real estate search term, right? And so it gives people who are the underdogs the opportunity to get to those high places, but also it changes the I think the ideology behind the content that you create. So most mm. people think when they think of like an SEO lead, they think of someone who is highly qualified, who's a hot lead, they're ready to buy or sell today. And so they land on your website, they click the button, they call you, they sign up for an email form or something like that. But what most people don't think about and the sort of side benefit is that when you create content that is optimized for search engines, you are establishing a way of building that rapport with each visitor. And you're able to sort of put them through a nurture sequence or to guide them along the process. And, you know, a lot of marketers will say like it takes, you know, seven touch points with a customer before they buy something. Well, when you talk about something that's such a high dollar amount, like buying or selling a property, uh, I think that number goes way, way up. And so mm-hmm. when you do something like PPC, it may be more laser focused to the people that are ready to buy or sell today or this week or this month. But what it doesn't do is allow you to sort of nurture that lead until they are ready to buy. So let's say you have someone who just found out they inherited a house and they have no idea what to do with it. They don't know, you know, what paperwork they need to do or if they need any permits or how to sell it or, you know, how to find a realtor or whatever. And so you have the opportunity to create content that is search engine optimized that will say, hey, here's the first steps to do. Here's your checklist on how to sell this property. And so when you're the one that's providing this information, then users will bookmark your page, they'll share it with a friend, 
They'll come back to your website later on to learn more information about the process because it's probably going to be too technical and too lengthy to get it all into one post or one page. Mm. And so what my recommendation is for people that are sort of like on the fence as to why they should do SEO in the first place, especially since it's such a long-term play. And the answer is that you're you're building up your authority and your trustworthiness and your expertise with people that come to your website every day. And that happens whether you're awake, whether you're asleep, and it's exponential. So if you write a blog post that is helpful for someone today, but you posted it 10 years ago, if it's evergreen, it's still relevant and it's still helpful and it's still benefiting your website. And so mm. you know, you may not even need to be spending as much money on PPC, but you'll still be reaping the benefits of FCO like years and years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that explanation. You know, it reminds me of what we were talking about. Uh, I think we're earlier this week, we were talking about the EAT acronym you shared, you know, from the Google exec and um, that trust part, that trustworthiness. Mm. And I've seen this firsthand with content that we've put out on YouTube and the other channels have put out on YouTube is where um, you can almost reap the benefits of SEO without doing any SEO. And what I mean is that, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about the instance of a, a YouTube channel with a contractor and he releases a video on, you know, how to use a, a skill saw or something. And yeah, YouTube yeah. sees that and it's like only the title. It's not SEO optimized. There's not all these keywords. Didn't put a lot of thought into it. Um, but he's seen in YouTube's eyes as uh, trustworthy on that topic. People come to him to that topic, they stay engaged. And it's the same, right. basically you're saying it's the same thing with your website. If people are coming to your website for that, to learn about these topics, how to sell their house fast, or if you're the local expert, the local guide, and they're coming to your website, they're reading your content, Google will recognize that, reward you for it and say, hey, this person is the expert in Miami, Florida. We're going to put you in front of more people. Yeah, it's, 100%. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So uh, one thing I want to touch on real quick is... Um, intent. Can you share with me like, uh, why having the right intent without getting, again, anybody listening and watching, if you want to learn about keyword research, carrot.com slash SEO, we have other, um, resources for that, but why does intent matter and how does this change your view when you're doing your keyword research and you're thinking about what to write about? Yeah, absolutely. So when we say intent, uh, what we mean is when you're doing keyword research, different keywords are categorized in different ways. So you could have uh, an information gathering intent, you could have a transactional intent, or you can have like a purchasing intent. And so a transactional intent is basically just like you are looking to achieve something to in order to take the next step versus a like purchase intent is like going to Amazon, for example. So every keyword has its own intent. And it's really important to kind of test that intent out before deciding to target that keyword because sometimes it's not clear what that intent could be. A uh, prime example is carrot. So if you type in carrot into Google, what you're going to see is a bunch of images of carrots in different shapes and colors. And then you're going to see a couple of like people also ask or an FAQ box that talks about things like the nutritional value of carrots, uh, the caloric value of carrots, like whether or not uh, the beta carotene turns your nose orange. But what they're not looking for is for our company. So it's important for us to know that we should not be spending tons and tons of time and money and energy trying to rank for the keyword carrot because everyone that's searching for that term is looking for the vegetable. They're not looking for the real estate company. So mm. I think it's important before you sort of like start on your SEO journey to know 
to just check the keywords again through an incognito browser or a private browser and just just check to see if what you are targeting matches with the kind of content that you're going to publish for it. So a lot of times, mm. especially nowadays with the you know sudden rise in online purchasing and e-commerce, a lot of things are buy requests or the transactional requests versus you know sometimes it might be clear that it's like an information gathering, like they're just looking for reviews or comparisons. So for me, intent is probably the most important first step for keyword research specifically. So just make mm -hmm. sure that you know you Google the keyword you're targeting and make sure that what pops up on the first page matches with what you want to publish to rank mm -hmm. for that keyword. Okay. I like that. So a, a recap just be don't don't make assumptions. Don't make blind assumptions. Right. Look at it and make sure it's the content that you want to put out. Um awesome. So let's dive into a little bit just a a little bit of like next steps, what people can focus on if they're just getting started with SEO and we'll keep it at a high level for people. Um, and then we'll wrap it up by talking about, you know, what are some other things maybe coming down the pipeline for SEO? Um, but so I just signed up for carrot. I've been told I need to do SEO. It's daunting. I have all these tips. I have all this information at my disposal. What do I work on first? Well, first there's a 1000 step checklist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. So first, I would always say focus on the homepage. Uh, the homepage is going to be your most important page. That's the one that most of your backlinks are going to be pointing to. That's the one that's going to rank for the most keywords, typically speaking. And that's the one that people are going to hit first. So I would say make sure that your homepage is squared away. Make sure you've got enough text on there, plenty of images. Uh, make sure it's linking to the other pages on your website. And then make sure that your homepage uh, is a location page, either for the city or state that you that is in your market. And then make sure that it has the right keyword. So I would say start there and then work towards building out location pages. So mm -hmm. for local SEO, location pages is really, really important because this is how you tell Google, hey, these are the different areas that I'm doing business in. So Maybe some investors are working in just a few cities. Maybe an investor is working on multiple counties or even multiple states. So if you're working in multiple states, you could say something like, this is my uh, Florida page. This is my Georgia page. This is my Virginia page. And then on those pages, you link out to your more city-specific location pages. So mm -hmm. that way, you're telling Google and you show in the URL, like this is domain.com forward slash state forward slash city forward slash whatever. Um, hmm. So that way you are painting a clear picture of not just your brand and your business on the homepage, but also the areas that your business operates in. And if you have Google My Business Profiles um, or just Google Business Profiles now, I would make one for each of the city location pages that you have and then linking to that. So hmm. that's kind of... And that can... That sounds more technical than it is. So what I'd recommend is if you're if you just got your carrot site and you're just getting started, focus on one location page. So it can be the state page, it can be the city's page, but just just start there and then make sure that's set up. Then after that, I would focus on doing the um, automated blog posts. So the automated content library that we have at Carrot is immensely beneficial for SEO because it takes care of eighty percent of the work. So a lot of people say like there's this. 80-20 rule, right? So do the 20% thing that, that yields 80% results. And for Carrot, this is it. So 
the automated content library, it's not a like one touch solution for your SEO. You don't just like hit publish and then lead alone. It's more like a template that is ready to be personalized. So you can change some content about it. Uh, in fact, you should. So that way you don't get dinged with uh, negative duplicate content, um, which is something that happens if you are just copying and pasting content from someone else's website and putting it on your own. You won't get any SEO benefits from that because Google is already aware that this other website already has that info. So make sure you customize your automated content library posts and then take those blog posts and link them to the location pages or to landing pages that you were using to either capture the lead or to close the deal. So, so when you say, I want to pause real quick, when you say link sure. them to, um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what you're meaning is when you're, when you're writing, when you're modifying this post that we've given you. So, you know, okay. Carrot gives you 12, 24, whatever blog posts, pick which ones are most applicable to you. Go ahead and modify it, make it unique, make it personal, and then put in the URL to the other related blog posts. Yes. Okay. So there's a few different ways you can link to another post, but my preferred method for SEO purposes is to highlight a word or a phrase and then create the link out of that. So this is called anchor text. And typically speaking, you want your anchor text to be closely related to, if not a direct match, to the destination that you're linking to. So like, let's say, for example, you have one about... Um, selling your house fast in Miami, Florida in the winter. And so you would link some my house fast in Miami, Florida to your location page. And that's, that's your link. That's your anchor text. It points mm-hmm. to that. And the whole reason why you want to do this is to create something called topic clusters. So the idea here is that if you want a page, like a location page or landing page to rank high, you need to have at least five supporting pieces of content that help lift that page up on the rankings. So you're telling Google very clearly, like, this is my topic and here are the five subcategories or subtopics that support that. Um, This is super important. And most people on the internet that make their own websites probably don't do this very well. So (laughs) if you want like the secret sauce, this is probably it. Um, It's not as clearly visible to most people who don't have the expensive SEO tools. But if you're just getting started and you can keep track of your pages and where you're linking things, uh, this is something that can set you above the crowd. So make sure you're linking your blog posts to the supporting page. Make sure that you get at least five for every topic that you want to cover. So if you're doing things like sell my house fast, make sure you got five blog posts. If you're doing something for uh, you know, foreclosure houses, five supporting blog posts. And then once that's done, you're creating these topic clusters and you're telling Google, like, here's my website and these are the categories that I am the expert in. So you should show these results to anyone that asks about this high level category. Mm. Yeah, that that really simplifies, you know, how people are picking their content too, because we have these automated yes. blog posts. I think automated is a misnomer. Maybe we change it. Maybe we don't. But you know, people will look at it and say, how am I going to pick, you know, all these different blog posts. But what you're saying is have those, those clusters as Google calls them, um, have those topics, those buckets and pick ones from those. So you could be seen as the expert in those multiple areas. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And normally Mm -hmm. writing five blog posts to support one landing page is a huge undertaking, right? Most people Mm -hmm. are not great at writing. Most people are not like, yeah, I'd love to write a 1000 word, you know, essay, so to speak on why someone should do this. And that's the real benefit that Care provides. Like these blog posts are already written. They're 
already optimized. They're written by real people and not AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are topically relevant. So these are categories that you will actually get value out of and that your, your readers will get value out of as well. And so we take care of 95% of the legwork on these blog posts and you just go in and you change some information, you make it personal, you add like, I don't know, neighborhoods or districts in the area that you operate in, and then you publish those and that's all it takes. And so we're doing the overwhelming majority of that. And once you get two or three of these topic clusters going, now you have enough content on your website for Google to really start picking you up and to take you more seriously as an authority in that niche. Hmm. Yeah. I love the, I love the way you explain that. You know, uh, the only context I would add is that, you know, when we're talking about automated content, it's like part of this is going to p- depend on what market you're in, how competitive it is, yeah. how many other people are trying to rank on page one of Google. Um, so the ideal for, you know, content is 100% unique, um, long thought out, well-developed responses on the things that you're an expert in, like we were talking about earlier in the podcast. So what that would look right. like is maybe I'm recording a video on how to sell your home fast and all the things you might be considering. And then I'm taking that video using our video post tool, transcribing it, turning it into a post, and then you know wordsmithing it, editing it so it it reads well, so it's grammatically yeah. correct. And then you know it's 100% unique, and you know nobody else has that. That's the ideal. But we have the automated blog post because we recognize that not everybody has time for that. Um, but I say that for context, if you're in a really competitive market, uh, it's going to take a little bit more customization. It might take a little bit more work to outrank other people. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's also worth noting that the results that you receive will take anywhere from three months all the way up to 12 months. I would say mm-hmm. the fastest is probably going to be three months. So it's not something where you're going to publish a bunch of blog posts and then in the next week, you're going to you know, be ranked number two, right? So it's, it's going to yeah. take some time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Trevor calls it the, the SEO ranking sprout and we'll link up in the show notes and on carrot.com on carrot.com slash SEO, another podcast we did with uh, Andy Kaloji. It's three things you need to know about SEO, um, where we talk about like timeline and expectations. Um, but yeah, three to 12 months, like Brian said, um, you can pop somewhere around the three month mark. It's typically around six. And then you might, you know, even once you do hit page one, it's going to be a slower climb to get to four, three, two, one. Um, and then in that podcast as well, we also talk about what you can typically expect for leads depending on uh, your market size. Um, but yeah, like Brian said, it's it's a long-term game. And so it's this is it's worth it. You know, these are, you talk to anyone that's generating leads through carrot. They're the, they're the hottest leads. They're the best leads, but that's the difference between evergreen marketing that you build over time versus the hamster wheel, uh, marketing that you have to keep on doing. So if you're new to carrot, what we recommend is, uh, start building your evergreen while supplementing with some of the paid marketing. Um, like you can supplement with pay-per-click, uh, marketing that's, you know, getting those hotter leads like Brian had mentioned, but start of the year, just start building that, uh, start building out your SEO, your evergreen marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so one thing uh, I wanted to ask you, Brian, is, you know, I built a website, I built custom websites, I've, I've built a website on Carrot, and I, I'm creative. I love going in there and spending hours and days, and I'm sure 90% of people listening to this can relate to me. I love going in there and tweaking all of the things 
um, that probably don't matter all that much. You know, I could spend three hours <laughs> yeah. on, on colors and is this the right image? And I just, uh, I, I labor over it, you know? And so sure. my, my question is, um, at what point do you move on? So like how much should you be optimizing? Like we know, get your domain linked up, get your logo up there, you know, pick a couple colors and that, but like, at what point do you stop optimizing and dialing in your homepage and move on to your location pages? And I mean, it could be the same question for every part of it, like Google my business, like how far do I go on every one to reap the most benefits? Like, where's that, where's that balance? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. My, my gut instinct is to say launch with your minimum viable product, like whatever is going to be the absolute minimum they can do, go ahead and do that. And then work on the next step. Because as you go on in your journey with your website, with your SEO, and even with your business, like there's, there's so many opportunities to go back and to update, to optimize, change things. And things are constantly changing anyway. So you may spend six hours laboring over just your homepage. And in a month, Google's going to come out with a new ranking algorithm update, and it's just going to totally rock everything. And you're going to have to go back and make changes anyway. So what I would say is like, don't spend so much time just nitpicking every fine detail, um, unless you have a team that is already trained up and knows what to do. Like there are exceptions for big companies and stuff, right? But I would say for the average investor, the average agent, just focus on getting the minimum viable product out there and then come back and update and maybe set something on your calendar. It's like, hey, every three months, come back, tweak some things, see see what changes um, and then move on to the next part. Because SEO and building a website and building a business is so complicated and so intricate that you really could waste a ton of time in the weeds and just completely miss huge opportunities in other areas of your business or especially other areas of your website. So like mm -hmm. example for local SEO, you know, doing on-page optimization, tweaking the colors, the headlines, the keyword focuses, the word count, the backlinks, like all of that um, is maybe only a third of the importance of local SEO. So mm -hmm. then you have the whole like backlinking and local citations and Google My Business. And those things are just as important. So they they deserve just as much time to focus on and to critique. And so I would just say minimum viable product, move on to the next thing and then create a rotation. So that way you're constantly checking back and updating things and keeping your content fresh, keeping your website updated, keeping your Google My Business updated. Um, and that sort of system in my experience has worked the best. Mm. Yeah. So anybody listening, you just got full permission to stop trying to make it perfect <laughs> because it doesn't matter. Uh, get it going, get your MVP and then come back to it. Um, it correct me if you already mentioned this, but do we talk about uh, Google My Business, that, that review threshold? That'd be important to know. Not yet. Not yet. But this is hot off the press. Um, we have also discovered that uh, Google has set a minimum threshold for the number of reviews that they want to see on your Google business profile before you start getting a significant boost in local searches. So the good news is that the, the number is only 10. So you need to get 10 reviews on your Google business profile. And from there, you should see a noticeable uptick in local keyword rankings, local search traffic coming in through your Google business profile. Um, higher search results in the map packs if you're using Google Maps 
or if it's just a local search in general. So map packs show up in Google search results all the time. But the bad news is that there is a very quick diminishing return on the investment past 10. So you don't need to build up 100 reviews or 40 reviews, but you do need to get at least 10 of them. And so this was a case study that we did at Carrot, and the results that we saw were phenomenal. And they were fast, but the speed in which we got the results was probably influenced by the amount of SEO that we do across our whole website, um, both on page and off page. And so I don't want to promise results to members or listeners. Um, at the same speed that we received them because there were probably a lot yeah. of other contributing factors. But 10 reviews on your Google business profile is significant and it's worth doing. So Which, if you've got yeah. 10 previous clients, just hit them up for review. Tell them it needs to be as honest as possible. It doesn't matter if it's a three star, one star, five star. I mean, obviously it'd be better to get more five stars than one or three stars, but Google's not looking for a perfect score. In fact, they're looking for an average of 4.8 stars on all of your reviews. So. Hmm. Just get 10 reviews. And then once that's done, you can pretty much let your Google business profile coast and you can collect reviews passively, you know, after that point. But just, you know, hustle hard to get that first 10 and then watch as your keywords just start climbing the ranks. Hmm. Yeah. So a, a quick note on reviews. It's it's funny because like this is this is really good news for anyone in a really small, even mid-sized market, because Google My Business is still really low-hanging fruit. And a lot of people just don't try, you know, um, right. I'm in Roseburg, Oregon, a town of, you know, 30,000 ish people. I look up plumbers in Roseburg, Oregon, and I'm probably going to find, you know, a guy with zero reviews and not even a phone number. The next guy has got three and the next plumber has, you know, maybe five, 20 reviews, whatever. Um, but it's usually right. not really hard to cross that, that 10 threshold and then to get on top. You had mentioned there is diminishing returns past, you know, the 10, that's true. There's also benefit to, um, you know, when someone's looking, it's just, you shop the same way on Amazon. We're not Amazon. It's like, okay, which oh, one yeah. has the massive amount of reviews? Like, is there one that stands out? It's like, okay, these people had five, 20, this one's got 57 five-star reviews. Okay. So like, don't even need to read any information. I'm calling them, you know, hit the call button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's wild. Um, yeah. And anybody that struggles with getting reviews, um, this is a question we get all the time. Like, how do I get more reviews? I think it's really easily overcomplicated. Um, a couple quick things you can do is, um, I like to, you know, have, um, uh, coffee cards, like coffee gift cards with you. So like, if you've just done a oh, deal, yeah. um, give people a gift. Don't say, I like to reverse it. Most people say, Hey, leave us a review and we're going to send you a free gift. I like to give people the gift, say, Hey, here's this. Thanks for doing business with me. Um, I would really appreciate it if you left, a, if you left us a review, it really helps us out and it helps um, mm -hmm. other people that are in your shoes that are going through what you've gone through because you're, you're telling them uh, the value that they're going to provide. So there's meaning behind that. It's not, yeah. it's not help us with a review. It's saying, Hey, would you mind sharing your experience so that, you know, other people can, uh, hear about this and then just give them that gift and leave it at that. You know, uh, the, the most you have to lose is a $5 coffee card. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. So that's one, um, you could also automate it. Uh, uh, a lot of people listening probably have follow-up sequences uh, built in their email. Um, you can automate it and just send out a Google link, uh, Google My Business review link um, after you do the deal. Um, but I like to just you know get that link from your Google My Business profile and just text it to them so it's easy. You want it to be um, least resistance as possible. Just make it as easy as possible for them. Yeah. 
Um, and also, uh, one last note on Google My Business. This is the if you're listening to this when it's coming out, this is the beginning of January. Later this month, we're actually putting out a video on Google My Business where we get a little bit more tactical on what to do and things you can optimize uh, so you can get your Google My Business profile to rank. So check that out at carrot.com slash SEO or on our YouTube channel. Um, anyways, I know we've been going for a little while. We're about out of time. Um, is there anything, Brian, you want to mention as far as like SEO, where it's headed, what might be, you know, changing, what people need to look out for? Yeah. So this is a topic I could probably talk about for a whole nother hour. Uh, so I, I'll try to avoid getting too into the weeds do on it. the subject. Three hour podcast. So, Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think this first started when Google announced that they're changing their Google Analytics and they're doing away with uh, what's called cookies. And these are just like in, invisible little internet browser pieces of code that follow you around from one website to another. For those of the, who are watching or listening that aren't aware, um, and that was for probably almost 20 years, the tried and true method of gaining uh, data on people that visited your website. So Google's throwing that completely out the window. And that shocked a lot of people, um, especially people in the UK. Like it became a data security issue and Google said, okay, yeah. fine, we'll just throw it away. And they were, everyone was just like, wait, what? Uh, but one of the important things that I think most people didn't consider at the time is that cookies are device specific. So if you're Googling something on your phone and then you want to send it to your computer, Google is putting more money into figuring out how to make that work and to like follow the customer journey from two or more different devices. So like, let's say you use Alexa to ask a question about, you know, maybe you're like adding something to a shopping list and then, you know, Google picks that up and that data carries with you over to your phone. And then it picks up location data when you're in the grocery store and says, hey, don't forget to buy this thing. And stuff like that starts becoming more and more popular, especially with the internet of things, so to speak. So you have refrigerators and TVs and gaming consoles and smartwatches and everything that connects to the cloud. Everything shares data back and forth. And so Google is investing tons and tons of time and money and resources into figuring out how to make that happen in the most seamless way possible. Now, good news is, is that that's super convenient for us. It's more secure in terms of like your online identity, but it's vastly different than how SEO is built now. So my educated opinion and guess on this is that Google is going to lean way more towards an entity-based search engine optimization versus a keyword-based. So up until now, I guess for the past 30 years or so, everything has been based around keyword. And so when you have certain keywords, uh, it, it only pulls results for that country and for that language. But Google is a national mm -hmm. company and they are looking at the bigger picture. Um, so if we're doing 10,000 foot views on SEO today, they're talking about 1 million foot views. And so they're like, okay, well, a keyword is going to be different contextually depending on the language. And it's also going to be different depending on the dialect, different depending on mm -hmm. which country that you're in. So you may use the same word in six different languages in five different countries, but they all mean something different. So what they're looking at is the semantic meaning behind the search. So people on the internet are starting to call this semantic SEO. And a lot of times they are sort of diluting that down to something called um, entity SEO. And so you can already see evidence of entities that are 
being used in Google already. If you look at Google images, so let's say you type in a keyword, you hit there, you click on the image tag and you'll see at the very top, there's these little like ovals and it'll say mm-hmm. something like, um, real estate company or, uh, Remax or Kelly Williams or whatever. And it's, it's a bunch of what kind of looks like search suggestions, but yeah. what these are are entities and it's essentially a collection of information about a person, place, thing, or a concept that Google is tracking and adding to as people search for different questions. So one of the like common stats thrown out there is that, like 60% of all Google queries are brand new because people are typing in, you know, 10 word search mm-hmm. phrases, or they're typing in a bunch of weird variations that Google's never seen before. <laughs> and so they are kind of tired of having to like sift through all of this to figure out what people mean. And entities is another solution to that problem. So they're saying, mm-hmm. okay, um, if you have a question that's something like, um, like US president, right? So the, the intent, the search intent behind that could be a whole slew of different things. Like who was the current US president who has been the president in the past, um, you know, what uh, political party does the president belong to, things like that. And so you can glean a lot of different information or a lot of different context from that one keyword. And so Google's trying to find a way to provide, again, the most helpful answer, depending on the context of that keyword. Mm-hmm. And that was probably not a great example that I used because um, it can be a little bit vague, but it works in a way that the current SEO landscape cannot satisfy. So if you're typing something and like, let's say it's a, it's a French word, you know, like let's say you're typing in baguette. And so baguette may mean something totally different um, or it have, may have a different search intent in the US than it does in France. It may have a different intent in, you know, like New Orleans or something. And so the idea here is that Google is slowly shifting away from keywords and backlink based SEO for ranking factors and then moving more towards like helpful contextual what we call entity based SEO. And so I think it's really important for people to start considering like if you have a business how do you focus more on your brand and how do you let Google know exactly what your brand does and how it can help people. And I think the answer to that is rooted all the way back into the type of content you're publishing. So the more content you publish on the various topics that you want to dominate, the more context Google has to the type of entity that you are. And then it gives them more information to provide your website and your products and services to people who are asking, even if they don't fully understand the terms that they're using. So if they Mm -hmm. type in some 10 word long string question, they may not know that what they're looking for is house foreclosure sales process. But Google knows that, okay, this particular long string, long tail keyword, as we call it, is related to this subject and your website is the authority of this subject. So we will go ahead and serve your website as number one and we'll see if they click. And if they click, then Google registers, okay, this 10 word long tail keyword is now you know best satisfied through your website and so they're sort of adding it to your entity and as that entity grows in its information your website ranks for more and more quote-unquote keywords because at this point we're kind of leaning away from that but your entity satisfies more questions that people have and that can go with you from your laptop to your smartphone to your voice command device whether that's like siri or alexa or whatever and 
you know, that information just carries across devices, carries across language barriers, carries across countries. And that's the real infrastructure that Google is trying to build to satisfy customers globally. Hmm. So would it be correct in saying that this is, it's another, Google has taken another big step in having a holistic approach to SEO and uh, showcasing the people with the best answers. Oh, yeah. Making it, it's making it much harder to gamify. It's less focused on specific keywords, but Google saying, are they an expert or are they not? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of the more recent uh, product updates have been kind of supporting that hypothesis that this is the direction Google's going. So if you look up um, Google Lens, it's an app that you can pull up on your Android phone and you can look around uh, using your camera and it's kind of like augmented reality. So you can look at a storefront and it'll say, hey, this is their Google business profile. These are the products they sell. These are the services they offer. You can move your phone around and it'll do the same thing and the results change in real time. Um, they can also do things now where they're using image recognition. So if you take a picture of a cherry pie and it can say, you can type in like, where can I buy a cherry pie? And it will sh show you results based on the image you took and not necessarily just the keyword. So it's kind of like combining those two data points and saying, hey, here are other entities that can satisfy those same two data points. And so this is just kind of the beginning of what we believe is going to be more entity or semantic based SEO. So if you really want to stay kind of savvy on what Google's doing, don't just look at Google search, but also look at Google Maps, Google My Business, look at the new products that Google's coming out with and the things that they are wanting to support across mm. all of their devices. Mm. Yeah, that's good insight. That's good insight, man. Thanks for sharing that. And it's encouraging, again, to see where Google is heading. It's it's getting easier. It's more holistic. It's more human, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing, man. That's a, that's a really valuable explanation. I really love the way you broke it down. And it's been fun having you on the podcast. It's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. All right, everybody watching, listening, thank you so much for tuning in. If you got value out of this, uh, share it with a friend. I know you probably won't because you don't want your competition to try to outrank <laughs> you. So whatever. Uh, but go to carrot.com slash SEO and to get uh, our SEO keyword Bible and all of our other resources, podcast episodes, so you can dive deep on this. And then one last note, I'd like to invite you, uh, if you're watching this in the beginning of January, uh, to our annual epic planning call. Our CEO, Trevor Mock, hosts every single year. It's It truly is epic. It's about a two to three hour long call where Trevor breaks down his biggest lessons learned from the year, his biggest mindset shifts, his best frameworks he's learned as a leader and CEO of this very fast growing company. Um, and it's a just a great motivating tactical way to get the new year, to get started in the new year the right way. So go to carrot.com slash epic and plan out your new year along with us. Uh, we would love to see you there. So that's it, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next week. <laughs>